Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. In Luke chapter 16, verses 18 through 31, the Pharisees are not prepared for what is coming to them if they refuse to repent. And so the question for us today is, are you prepared if you continue to refuse to repent in the way that Christ is calling you to? So today, Pastor John will show us how Jesus uses a familiar story to describe what eternity apart from God looks like. But before we begin, go ahead and click that subscribe button down in the lower right so you can make sure not to miss anything. God bless you. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 19 through 31. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you about, I was sitting with a group of pastors. We had some people with us and it was kind of an open question type thing. And one of the questions that came up, a guy sitting across the table from me said, I don't know why you pastors seem to think it's important to talk about wrath and judgment in relation to God. We all know that God is a God of love and mercy. Why do you even want to talk about this? It's such a negative message. And, and so the pastors are sitting there kind of looking at each other. And finally, one of them goes, John. And I said, well, yes, God is love and mercy, but those words, wrath and judgment, are in the Bible. We would be doing a disservice to, to ignore them. And he kind of nodded and went on. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's this idea that God is this big, fluffy guy up in the sky that wants nothing more than for you to just enjoy yourself. And, you know, there's enough truth to that that it's easy to embrace. But we need to be really careful with that because today we're going to find out that you can kind of take that idea a bit too far. We can hear what God says and not listen to what he's saying and allow that to go too far in our lives. And if we allow it to go too far, ultimately we will not be able to get back. Well, that's kind of scary. But here's where the hope is. It's, it's not too late. It's, it's not too late yet. And if you, if you wait too long on, on obeying God's word and listening and doing what he tells us to do, you're going to hear this. You shall not pass. Now, last week I asked you not to think about the song. This week I'm going to say, think about the movie. Okay, because there's that point in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is doing his Gandalf thing and he's standing on the line bridge and he's not going to let this evil thing get by him and get to the people. And he says, you shall not pass. And they don't. So last week we found out, the question was, where, where do you find your love? And we found out the, the Pharisees found their love in money and in themselves. And so their love of money really was a reflection of how much they thought of themselves and were going to take care of themselves and sustain themselves. And we also found out that time is getting short in Luke's narrative for the Pharisees. And the outlook keeps on getting more and more dire looking as we, as we move along. And Jesus continues to tell them who they are and what they're doing wrong and everything in an effort to convince them that they need to repent. 
And still, the, the context of all of these stories that we've been hearing is that the Pharisees are being unfaithful, that they're loving their own lives more than they love their God, and that Jesus is still teaching them about the kingdom. We've been learning about the kingdom since about chapter 12. All of these messages are about the Pharisees and the kingdom. And he just warned the Pharisees in the last passage that their lack of repentance can lead to a separation from God. And today we're going to see how devastating that separation from God can be. So our passage today has three sets of two in it. We've got two people in verses 19 through 21. We've got two prayers in verses 22 through 23. And we have two I'm sorry, we have two places in 22 through 23, and two prayers in 24 through 31. So let's take a look at the two people that populate this story. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, there's just a ton of subtlety here. And so we could read rich man and move on, but there's a whole lot going on. Jesus is setting the stage for this incredibly profound teaching that he's going to present. And notice the first thing is the rich man has no name. He has no name. What's he identified by? He's identified by the things that he has. He's defined by his possessions. Uh, The purple clothing is the color of royalty. Uh, Back in that culture, it would be the color of the very, very wealthy. Uh, The fine linen uh, is another sign that he's very wealthy. Uh, And matter of fact, the royalty, the the purple robes would be the outer garments. The the fine linen would be the undergarments. Very expensive. So I have this picture of this very wealthy man who eats extravagantly every day. Perhaps he's overweight. We don't know. And he believes he's got it made. The people around him probably think the same thing. So, do we ever do that? Do we ever look at somebody and go, look at all they got. Gosh, they must have it made. And, 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 you know, we all make the mistake sometimes of thinking that somebody who has everything uh, is happy because they have everything. You know, pastors do this with each other. You know, how big is your sanctuary? Wow, it must be great to have everything. You know, and, you know, I was saying that to a pastor up in Mechanicsburg about 20 years ago, and he said, I'd give a million dollars to trade places with you. So, you know, we make the mistake of associating wealth and accumulation with success. But wait a minute. Let's go back to the rich guy. The purple dye that colored his clothing was made from crushed shells of sea fish that were collected around the coast of Tyre. It was beautiful. It was absolutely stunning and, and it was iridescent and everything and prohibitively expensive. But it smelled like dead fish. <laughs> it, it had a very peculiar odor to it. So we have a picture of this man who is clothed with the stench of the world and thinks that it's somehow fantastic. And everyone else believes it to be a sign of wealth. Meanwhile, let's take a look at our second person in the story. And he is, in the words of one theologian, a violent contrast to the rich man. Verse 20, And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, 
covered with sores. Now, the, the first thing we see is that this, this poor man is laid at the gate. And the inference is that he can't get around by himself. He's poor. And so not only can he not get around by himself, but the people who see him have a certain perception of him. And you know how the culture was. You know, they would see that there was something wrong with him, something, something that God had been cursing in him. So now, now remember this, okay, because he would be seen as having no value. So remember the parable of the coin, the sheep, and the boy showed us who is valued by God. And it's not the ones you would think. The very people that the Pharisees do not value are those that were valued by God. And, and then we heard the parable about the dishonest manager and found out that the Pharisees didn't value the people they should value. What they valued was money. What they valued was themselves, even more than God. So now we see this rich man and this poor man, but look at this. The poor man has a name. It's Lazarus. This is the only time in all the parables that Jesus identifies somebody by name. Now, immediately we start thinking about Lazarus and the tomb and everything, okay? But the fact of the matter is that Jesus identifies this guy by name because the name has a meaning. It means blessed by God. Favored by God. God helps. So Lazarus is poor. He's handicapped. He's covered with sores. And this, this man is unclean to the max. People are walking way around him. I don't want to get anywhere near him. If I need to touch him, I'm going to have to ceremonially clean myself. I don't want to be associated with this. And furthermore, in verse 21, this poor man, Lazarus, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This just keeps getting worse and worse. He's waiting for something to fall from the rich man's table. The rich man is not sharing his food with the guy, with Lazarus. Lazarus is waiting for somebody to take the trash out and hoping that something falls out of the trash bag so he can eat that. And perhaps he is so hungry at this point, perhaps he is so debilitated by whatever is handicapping that he's unable to shoo away the dogs. Now, dogs are looked at a little bit differently in that culture than they are in this culture. To us, you know, they're pets, they're cute, they're clean, they're running around us. Back then, they were filthy. They had no homes. You were near a dog, you were unclean. So we, get these, we have these two people. We have the rich, privileged, and admired, if not respected, man. And a man so poor and so suffering in what he's going through that he's totally unable to help himself, waiting for some scrap of food that he can gnaw on. And he only gets the attention of dogs. There's no question about what's being pictured here. One man seems to be blessed beyond measure, and the other man seems to be cursed beyond measure. It's not easy to, to see what people would think. I, I mean, it's the way the culture was set up. If you're having trouble, God is mad at you. If you're successful, God is happy with you. Two people, one respected by the community, and, and by the way, by himself, as we'll see, 
And the other one, despised by the community. Maybe, maybe despised by himself as well. One who believes himself to have tremendous value and the other one who seemingly has no value at all. So what happens to these two guys? Well, that takes us to our two places. So the first place we see is 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So look at this. There's this incredible reversal that's occurring. And isn't this what Jesus has been saying, that the kingdom of God is going to be populated by people that you don't expect to be there? And that's exactly what the the people listening to Jesus talking about right now would, would have been thinking. And the poor man, he's carried one last time. I mean, he's dependent on people to carry him to where he needed to be. And as he dies, perhaps of hunger, the angels from heaven come down and carry him one last time into heaven to be with Abraham. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully because there a lot of people have made doctrines out of the words that we see here. And th- this, is not, this is not a parable to help us establish doctrine. Some people talk about Abraham's side. And, and, and the word here is kopong. Okay, and it's a Greek word for bosom. Perhaps you've heard the term Abraham's bosom. Uh, and, and as we start talking about Abraham's bosom and that being someplace other than heaven or in between heaven or everything, that is not the point of this story. And that misses the, the, the whole idea of what's being told here. The Jews would have heard that he had been taken into the embrace of Abraham. That he would have been taken into a place that that makes him the object of infinite care and mercy. Taken in a place of comfort. Uh, Taken in a place where where heaven would literally wrap their arms around him and receive him. The man no one cared for. The man that the, the dogs disrespected is now in the care and the comfort of heaven. And look where, look where the rich man is. And there's another great reversal here. Verse 23, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, the rich man, and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. The rich man is in hell. He's in torment. Now, here's where our doctrine of hell comes from. You know, our statement of faith says we believe hell is a place of eternal conscious torment. This is it right here. Jesus is describing hell. So for those people that say, we don't believe in hell, this guy does. He gets it. And again, it's a parable. So we see these two places, heaven and hell. And, you know, later on we're going to find out everybody goes to one of them. You don't get your choice. But we're going to find out what happens to this guy while he's in hell. And it's revealing. So let's look at these two prayers. Here's the first prayer. Both of them come from the rich guy. Verse 23. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, Jesus is using terms that the Jews would have been familiar with. They're, they're, they're 
typical ideas that the Jews had about the afterlife and spread throughout here. They, 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 when they thought about the afterlife, they would think about uh, the underworld, a place where you could end up. They would think about fire. Uh, they would think about torment. Uh, they would think about the afterlife. They would think about Abraham. You want to be where Abraham is. He's the bearer of the covenant with God. He's the father of the promise. And, and when they think about thirst, in particular, what they think about is a longing for God. We can read this in Psalm 42. You can take a look at it later on. And Psalm 143, a longing for God. Not just a physical thirst, but a longing for God. So what the rich man wants, what he prays for, what he calls out to Abraham for, is relief from his physical suffering. He wants some mercy. He cries out to Abraham from the pit of hell. He's crying out to heaven. And, and his, his cry is a reminder to Abraham that he's a Jew. He says, Abraham, my father, my brother, you know me. It's me, your, your Jewish brother. Blessed by God, remember? Calling out to you. And, and, and so... Even as we look at those words, we see that this guy stuck in the pit of hell still thinks that he's got some status, still thinks that he has some influence. He asks for mercy from Abraham, but what's he want? He wants Abraham to send Lazarus. Tell that poor guy to bring me some water. See, this is where we see the rich man's heart. He thinks he can, with Abraham's help, you and me working together, Abraham, we can get me out of this. He thinks he can improve his situation. And even more than that, he knows, he knows Lazarus' name. Which means that he knew who he was when he was laying at the gate waiting for garbage to eat. He was aware of the man. Clearly, The rich man never helped Lazarus. Now, now he wants Lazarus' help. Ah. You know, it's a small request. And that's what he's probably thinking. But it's just as small as the request that Lazarus had when he wanted a scrap of food. And that food never came to Lazarus, only the dogs. So, so he cries out, Abraham's his brother, knows Lazarus. How is this prayer answered? Now, now, if I were writing this, I would go, oh, have pity on that guy. You know, he realizes he's made a mistake. If, you know, just get him out of there. He's hurting. That would, be, uh, that would be a great movie, wouldn't it? We're not looking at a movie, though. Because Abraham says this in verse 25. But Abraham said, child. Use his technon here. Yeah, I know you think you're a child of God. I know you think you're my brother. And in a very, very real way, you are my brother. We're all descendants of Abraham. I get it. And, and, but now we're at the core of what Jesus has been showing the Pharisees. Abraham calls the rich man's son. Yes, Abraham is his father. But the son is in hell. And what we find out is at the core of Jesus' teaching is not all those who think they're going to heaven are actually going to end up there. 
Because this one's down in hell. The self-righteous, greedy, rich man who assumed he had privilege and who assumed he was blessed has ended up in hell. And every man, and the man everyone thought was cursed is in heaven with Abraham. How does this work? Well, Abraham tells the rich man why he's where he is. Why this sudden reversal has occurred. Why he's being denied the benefits of the kingdom while this unworthy poor man, this unworthy soul is now living in glory. Why is this happening? Verse 25b. Abraham says, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. He said, the rich man... You received your reward on earth. Lazarus suffered on earth. Abraham says, what you denied him on earth is now denied you in hell. Well, what, what he experienced on earth, you are now experiencing in hell. That should sober us, brothers and sisters. For every person that we deny grace to, for every person that we withhold mercy from, we just need to think about these things. There's a direct reference to the parable of the dishonest servant here. Remember the lesson that Jesus taught in, in that parable? It's a passage just previous to this one. That the Pharisees were self-serving and greedy. And so the Pharisees by now should see themselves in the rich man. And now verse 25b tells us the consequences of putting money or anything else before God. And relegating God to second or third level status. In other words, Abraham's telling the rich man, you were greedy. You were self-sustaining in life. Now you're going to have to continue to sustain yourself in the afterlife. Lazarus was dependent on God in life. God will care for him in the afterlife. And let me tell you something. Down where you are, Mr. Richman, statuses and riches and ethnicity have no sway over where you are. They have no weight. Only a sold-out, fully dependent faith in God is the reward for humility and holiness like this poor man exhibited on earth. You are now experiencing, he says to the rich man, what the reward for withholding blessings from others for being self-centered for being self-determined for hoarding your riches while others go hungry for hearing the word of God and denying it for leading a life more about you than about God you're now experiencing the reward for all those things you built this yourself and all those things are far more terrifying than anything you ever ever imagined as you realize what the reward for them is. It's an incredible moment. And that reward has fallen upon you. Now that's some bad news. But it gets worse. Look at verse 26. 
And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. You shall not pass. For the rich man, it's too late. The answer to his first prayer for mercy is no. He gets no mercy. He gets no relief. Because he led led a self-centered, self-satisfying life. And there is no way to get from hell to heaven. Now that's what we need to learn here. Not about you can look up and see and look down and see and talk to these people and everything. There's no way to get from one to the other. That's what Jesus is teaching. See, now in the parable of the dishonest manager, Jesus told the Pharisees that they should be preparing for the future. Now he shows them what their future is going to look like if they don't repent. Now with this news, the rich man has a second prayer. He understands what the situation is. Verse 27, he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, test they, they, lest they also come into this place of torment. He's still ordering Lazarus around. Burning in hell. Tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth. It's so dry. All they can breathe in are the flames of hell. And each breath, it gets worse and worse, and it's never ending. It's going on and on. But he still, he still wants to to send Lazarus somewhere. And, you know, we, we, well, okay, he's got some compassion for his family. Certainly didn't have compassion for the people in his hometown. Not the poor man, at least. Send someone to tell them how terrifying this is. Send someone to tell them how much pain I'm in. Send someone to tell them how much I am suffering. Verse 29, but Abraham said, you know, what Abraham, you know, oh, just wait. I realize that you haven't had all the scriptures. I realize that the Old Testament is only a history book and not for our edification. So it's too bad that you died before Paul and John and Peter did their writings. That's what some people would think he would have said because that's how we treat the Old Testament. Look what Abraham said. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And what we find out is the Old Testament had given this guy everything he needed to know about salvation. That the Old Testament was about pointing towards the coming of the Messiah, telling people what he would be like, telling people what he would say. Telling people the things he would do. Abraham is implying, your brothers already have heard. They've already heard, and they didn't listen. Just like the, the rich man had heard, but refused to listen. So the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now it's Jesus Christ that's telling the story, and he knows where he's headed. And he knows what's going to happen. The rich man says, maybe if someone returns from the dead, then they'll listen. Then they'll repent. Now this is really significant. Because the man knows the goal of the teaching of the prophets was repentance. He knew what the prophets were saying. 
Abraham didn't say, well, you know, somebody should have told you to repent. He comes up with this. So he knows what the scriptures say, and he never repents. Now he wants someone to tell his brothers not to make the same mistake. And maybe somebody that has enough authority that they're able to return from the bed. Maybe, maybe they'll listen to him. Abraham says in verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And Jesus knows this is true because he's about to rise from the dead and tell. So the answer to Abraham's second prayer is another refusal. The man's second prayer is tell them Abraham says they've been told and they refuse. What makes you think someone returning from the dead will convince them? So here we have our three sets of two. Two people, that rich man, one who seems worthy and one who is actually worthy in the eyes of God. Well, these two places, a place of eternal joy and peace and another of eternal torment and suffering. And we got these two prayers. One for mercy in hell, and there's none. And one for the truth to be told. So the answer to the first one is no, it's too late. And the answer to the second one, listen very carefully, is you've already heard the truth and rejected it. You know, there's a, a question we all have to ask ourselves when we hear a parable. And it's, which one am I in this parable? Which one am I? There are only two folks in it. And, and I want you to forget about rich and poor. It has no bearing on what's going on here. Focus on where they are, because this is what the parable is about, where they end up. And the difference between the two destinations is Jesus Christ. So if you're listening to this today, and and before you answer the question of which one am I, consider this, that if you do not know Jesus Christ, you are the person in hell. There's no equivocating. If you don't know Christ, if you don't receive him as your personal savior, you are the person in unending torment. Well, how does this happen? How does a rich man end here? It, I mean, you get there the same way the rich man got there. He heard the truth and convinced himself somehow that the church, the, the truth didn't apply to him. And we've heard these things before. You know, the response to the gospel, well, that's not my God. I could never worship a God that did that. Well, I was taught something different. I've always believed this. I just don't believe in God. God believes in you. (laughs) There are other things, you know, other responses that we've heard from the gospel. I just always thought everyone has their own God, and it doesn't really matter which one you believe in. What matters is how sincere you are. The rich man sincerely wanted to get out of hell. Or, my God loves everyone and would never send somebody to a place 
like that. See, that, that's what happens when we decide that there are things in the Bible that we don't care for. That's what happens when we decide that a word or a passage or a verse is too uncomfortable for us. We begin, begin missing out on the truth. And the last one, the big one, no one told me. And let me tell you something. All of these things will run through your mind. All of the things that you said, all the opportunities you had, while you yearn with all of your being for one drop of water. A drop that will never come. Just how bad is this place? Deuteronomy 32, 22. For a fire is kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol. The fires of hell burn with God's wrath and anger. You can't get away from them even there. It devours the earth and it's increased and it sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. It's a place of enduring the wrath of God for all of eternity. If you haven't made that move, if you haven't repented, if you haven't confessed of your sins and acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, it's not too late. It's not too late. Don't wait. Confess your sins. Repent now. And turn to the only one that can save you, the only one that loves you enough to have died for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth. It might seem harsh, Father, but there's nothing on this world that is harsh as where you end up if you are apart from Jesus Christ. So we pray that your truth would go out in power, that your spirit would move on people. They would be drawn unto you, Father. It's not complicated. It's just a, a, a prayer of confession. I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me my sin. I receive your son as Lord and Savior. That's the first step to eternity. And when that step is made, we're guaranteed our place there. Father, I pray that you would move in your power on people that need to know Christ. Lord, there are only two types of people. People who have Christ and people who need Christ. And we pray that you would draw those who need you unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>